Welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. Hills Church is a four-square church in Laguna Hills, California. Visit us on the web at hillschurchoc.com. Continuing our second week in our series called A Beautiful, A Beautiful Mess. It's a study this summer in the book of Acts. And it's really the story of how God accomplishes his kingdom mission through broken and imperfect people like us. You know, there's a little saying that says when you're looking for a church, and especially looking for the perfect church, once you find it, please stop going there because you're going to be the one that messes it up. And uh, that was a, that, that, that was, thank you, Larry. That, I guess it was not a very good. Because the challenge is that there is no, there is no perfect place because there are no perfect people. And yet, nevertheless, God loves us and invites us to partner, to partner with him. We call this uh, the birthday of the church. How many of you know that on the calendar, at least on the church calendar, today is what we call Pentecost Sunday. It is uh, 50 days following Passover, which for us in the Western church tends to align itself with Easter. But in the Jewish calendar and the way in which Jesus worshipped, Pentecost was one of three holidays in which all of the men were required to be in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem for Passover, and it's during that season of time when Jesus was crucified, and at the end he was resurrected. It's from the Passover meal that we have developed the uh, ritual and uh, um, spiritual uh, discipline of, of sharing communion together. But Pentecost Sunday is just as significant. In fact, Pentecost Sunday historically is what we would call the first in gathering. It is the holiday of the first fruits. So if you lived in the agrarian society in which most of the people of those days did, it was the day in which the very first of the harvest was gathered and then brought and presented as an offering to the Lord. It really is a sign that what is first belongs to, belongs to God. But it is also a reminder of the harvest. The scripture calls us, invites us to be people who are the seed planters. But who is the seed grower? And who is the one that brings these things to life? Well, it is God. And on this day, we also remember that it is the day that he gave life to this thing called the church. In fact, there are two important days in everyone's life. The first is your when day. It was the day that you were born. But the second is your why day. It's a day that you discover why you were born. The unique purpose and passion that God has placed in you and has uniquely equipped you to do. Today, we get a look not only at the when day of the church, but the why day 
of the church. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open up to Acts chapter 2. If you use your phone and you have the, the Bible app, which I want to remind everybody, um, on the Bible app uh, in today's notes, we will have a reading guide for this week, as well as it's on the back of your update. If you'd like to use this time every week, we will be having a Bible reading guide that kind of tracks along with our messages this summer. And we invite you to join us on this journey. If you use the Version Bible app, you can go to Menu, you can find Events, and uh, with Events, uh, if you have Location Services turned on, you should be able to find Hills Church, uh, Laguna Hills, California. It says Live, and it will end up looking like this, and you'll be able to find our messages today. In fact, one last thing before I don't want to spend too much time but many of you ask well uh jeff what's the uh what's the the wi-fi password here you'll log on to a hills church guest and on the bottom of your update just so that everybody knows is the password to the uh to the church but it's also right behind here on this banner to my right jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever the uh, address for that verse hebrews thirteen eight, without the colon all lowercase is the password to um is the password to hills church um wi-fi so with that said let's uh take a look at today's passage when the day of pentecost had fully come this seven day uh celebration this ceremony um of seven days of this festival when it said kind of the climax or when the main day arrived, they were all with one accord in one place. They being Jesus' followers. It included the 11 or now 12 disciples. It included the larger group of people who had been following Jesus that we assume that people like Mary Magdalene was there and some of the other people who supported and followed Jesus. We know that there were different groups of people that he spoke to, that there was a, a larger group of 70 people who identified with some type of personal relationship with Jesus. We know that there's a, a larger group of people who uh, the scripture says in Acts chapter 1 that there was about 120 of them gathered together to celebrate the holiday, but also in obedience to the instruction that Jesus had given them, that when you get to Jerusalem, I want you to do something very, very important. I want you to wait. I want you to wait. Well, wait, wait for what? Because I doubt that they were much different than we are. Is there anybody else in here that can be a little impatient? Anybody else that likes to make things happen? That doing something has got to be better than doing nothing says that they were all in one accord or they were all on the same page in the same place and then suddenly wherever you read the word suddenly in the bible you need to circle it and really pay attention because what begins to happen is god begins to show us something show us two things something about who he is and something about how his kingdom 
works. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. And the sound was like a mighty rushing wind. This sound, mighty rushing wind, in Hebrew is called the ruach. It is the breath of God. It's the same word that in Genesis was translated when it said, and, the, and God breathed into man life. There was the sound of the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And there appeared on them divided tongues of fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled and directed them. The old, the, the, the King James says, as he gave them utterance. But it actually is a desire, an openness, a willingness to participate with the things that God was doing in their life. This describes the day that the church was born. In fact, we, as a four-square church, when you start to designate what part of the larger body of Christ that we belong to, we are in the Reformed group, but separated from the Catholic Church. We are in the evangelical world, following kind of the John Wesley revivalist tradition. And out of that, we are also then part of a subgroup of that that is called the Pentecostals. And it's from this particular passage that our unique tribe gets its sense of identity. Foursquare has had its uh, birthing in the early 1920s when there was a revival of God that took place in the city of Los Angeles that literally began to spread throughout the entire world. In fact, it is people of our tradition. Does it make us better? It doesn't make us anything other than just the part of the family of God that we've been invited to. It is the Pentecostal and charismatic expression of the body of Christ that is leading the growth worldwide in the movement. In fact, one out of every four believers in the world would identify themselves today as being people of the Pentecostal experience and tradition. We're like, well, what, what is that? What do you mean by that? And the first thing that most of us go to is this kind of like flamboyant, extravagant, like... Me, 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 look at me, look what I can do. I lift my hands and I jump and even more. Hey, here we go. I speak in tongues. And what we forget is it's not really about any of this. If I was to describe what being a Pentecostal is, it's this. An invitation, not only for the Holy Spirit to live in me, but giving Him permission to work through me. It's not just a belief 
It is a way of life in which we, if I can put it this way, in which we as the people of God, the representatives of the kingdom of God, walk around with a sign on. And you know what the sign says? I'm open for business. That God, however you want to use me to impact the world that you have placed me in, I am available. Even though I'm broken, even though I'm imperfect, even though I know you love to make me so uncomfortable. Because how many of you have found that following Jesus isn't about our comfort? Right? Jesus doesn't care how comfortable we are. He wants to hear, he, he cares about how conformed we are. Conformed to what? Conformed to him. Conformed to who he is. So why should I make myself available to receive this thing called the baptism in or the baptism with the Holy Spirit? The first reason is because the Father promised us. In Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. So wait in Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. There is a promise from God that not only is His desire to save you and to live eternally with you, but to empower you for life to demonstrate the kingdom of God in the world that He's placed you in, in the way that He's designed you, if we will give Him permission. The promise from God is that there would be a power in our life that is accessible to other people when we yield ourselves to them. In Acts 1-4, it is repeated that same idea from... Uh, that was found in, in the earlier passage in Luke. And this idea of the gift, this promise of the, of the gift of the Spirit, we're like, now wait a minute, Jeff, is like this whole thing, I like, I don't know, I don't, is that why you got the fan going? So that like there could be the sound of the wind today? Like are we, like, everybody got like a little Bic lighter that all of a sudden we're going to, right, that's going to, I've never experienced those kinds of things in my life. But what I have experienced is Father God wanting to give gifts. Like the scripture says in Luke, Jesus is describing our relationship with God the Father. And he says, you know, if a son asks for bread, is he going to get a stone? Or if he asks for fish, is he going to get a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would he get a scorpion? No. If we, in our own humanness, know, uh, know how to give good things to our kids, how much more so, and what's the gift that he relates to Father giving? How much more so will the Father give what? The Holy Spirit. To those, now here's what's important. To those who what? To those who what? I will tell you what, I have two kids, and they are never embarrassed to ask me for anything. In fact, they often feel, rightly so, 
entitled to ask of me whatever they need because it is my commitment to provide for them whatever it is that they need within my ability. And in the heart of Father God, he says, I have a gift for my people. It is not only redemption and reconciliation and righteousness that comes because of the work of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, the atonement for our sins and the invitation into relationship, but I'm going to give you something that's going to make that relationship have legs. And it's just a simply a gift that we have to ask for. We pursue the work of the Holy Spirit in our life because Jesus directed it. Jesus told the disciples, now, so you need to go and you need, you need to wait for it. In fact, early on in his life, there's this interaction that I want us to go back to in the book of John. This interaction where somebody is interviewing John the Baptist, the man who baptized Jesus. And they were talking to him about Jesus. And he says, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the person upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, he doesn't just say, this is the one who has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says what? This is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That he is the one, Jesus is the one who does this work on us. In fact, John the Baptist was one of the witnesses that saw this very thing happen to Jesus. As Jesus was baptized by John in the water. And when he came up, two things happened. There was a sound and there was a sign, wasn't there? The sound in that case was what? A voice from heaven that says, this is, this is my son. And what does the father do to his children? He gives them gifts. In whom I'm well pleased... And the sign of the dove descending upon Jesus. And it's at that point that Jesus' ministry was initiated. And he says this. That much in the same way that that dove descends on Jesus. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will do this. He will come upon you. Now, this is different. This is different from the Holy Spirit being in you. When you receive Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, the part of God's person and nature that begins to quicken our lives and give us life in the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit is the one who, who identifies us as the children of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that begins the process of regenerating us, making us new, who conforms us to the likeness of Christ. But we're not only talking about the Holy Spirit being in you, we're also talking about Him being upon you. 
this imagery of this anointing that takes place. The Holy Spirit in us initiates us. Maybe write this down if you want. The Holy Spirit initiates us. The Holy Spirit in us initiates us into the family of God. But the Holy Spirit upon us initiates us into the life of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit in us initiates us into the family of God. But it is the Holy Spirit when he comes upon us that initiates us into the life of the kingdom of God. This is the kind of power that Jesus was talking about in Acts chapter 4. On he, or Acts chapter 1, he says that there would be a new power so that we could fulfill the assignment that he's given to us. In Acts 1.8, we are reminded that it is our job to be witnesses to the things of the grace and the glory of Jesus. He said that by the Holy Spirit that there would be a new empowerment for worship. Well, what do you mean for worship? Well, like kind of what we did today. There's an there's an intellectual process by which we read and repeat words which we know produces some type of effect. But how many of us also find that there is a life-giving thing that begins to take place in us that we don't always know how to explain? It's like being in love. There's something real that begins to take place. It's described in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. It says, now be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Speaking, uh, singing and making melody in your heart. Giving thanks always for all things to God. The Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That there is this process of singing in the Spirit. What does that mean? It just means that our whole person is engaged. Dads, let me talk to you for just a minute. Because how many of us have had our kids listening to us but not hearing us? Is there a difference? Parents, is there a difference between somebody listening to you and hearing you? Can I also suggest that there is at times a difference between singing and worshiping that's the same of the difference between listening and hearing. That there's an engagement that takes place because the part of us that only can come alive because of the work of the Holy Spirit all of a sudden is stirred up inside of us. And there's a new sense of life that takes place. See, I think the things that most make you you. I know that there are people in this room who love to fish. And these men who love to fish, when you are fishing, you feel the most like you. In fact, it sounds a little goofy, but like fishing is almost worship. Because it feels like you were made to do this. Jamie and I, this weekend, were cleaning out some of our closets as our kids are in these various stages of various stages of transition 
And in coming across these things, she was finding these, I, I mean, she, we have got crates and crates and crates of elementary school artwork. But she can't throw them away. Because to her, it reminds her how being a mom for her made her feel the most her. And I think that there are times in our worship why we spend so much time, why it's not necessarily about the arrangement of the band and how good everybody is singing. We are simply facilitating an opportunity for you to become less self-conscious and more God-conscious. Aware of His presence in our life. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do that. The scripture also says that it empowers us for prayer. Have you ever been praying for somebody and you've run out of words, but you've not run out of passion? Right? You know that there's more to be said, but you just don't want to repeat yourself over and over. In the old school days, we used to say the burden hasn't lifted. Scripture says the Holy Spirit helps us in those times of prayer. That the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 says that He helps us in our distress. Because there are times we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. Has anybody else ever been in that situation? Look at this. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. Some other translations say it better that they, He prays with us. He's not praying for us as in, like, me as an external entity might be praying for Anthony. No. It's the kind of thing when I'm having a conversation and I can't find the words and Jamie speaks up and says exactly what I'm wanting to say. Why? Because she knows my heart better than anybody else. She is praying for me. On behalf of me. And the scriptures doesn't describe God, uh, the Holy Spirit, as using words in our native language. In fact, what does this, what's the word that is here, that is used? Groanings. What do you mean? What do you mean, groanings? Like that's a little, like now all of a sudden our prayer sounds like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I think that there are these, yearnings and sometimes just stuff starts to bubble up i was watching a had on sunday morning the channel two show and they were showing a an orchestra concert and at the end of this one movement it's a home video at the one end of this one movement you just hear in this empty pause in this huge arena Somebody go, oh, wow. And the story is that this was the words of a 12-year-old autistic boy who had never spoken before. And something of that music moved something within him that brought out in him something he did not think he had any capacity for. And it began to open up 
a whole new channel of communication. What do you think that that did for his parents? Who had been told that he would never verbalize. Who had told that he would never talk again. And now when music plays, he speaks. When the Spirit of God is moving in your life, guess what? Sometimes you'll speak. And it may not be with the full understanding that happens here. But I guarantee you it happens with the full understanding of what's happening here. And he helps us. He helps us in our service. There are many diversities of gifts, but who is the person who works in the gifts and abilities that God gives us? Who's the one that makes them come alive? What's the scripture say? It's the spirit. It's like all of a sudden you take the power cord of your life and it gets plugged in and who you are comes alive. And it is the same spirit that works in all of us because he's distributed gifts differently to each one of us and sometimes as needed in the moment according to his will. And his will is to do two things which is to fulfill the will of the Father and to glorify the Son. And when we allow Him permission to work in our lives, those kinds of things happen. Now you can imagine that this was quite a scene that takes place. All of a sudden you've got these people who are kind of, I, I don't know, it was, it, it was enough of a ruckus that people began to gather. And let me read this passage to you really quickly because I think that there's some important people, important concepts in here that we need to grab very quickly before we head to, uh, head to the end this morning. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem because, because all of the men in Israel were also gathered there, not just these 120. All the men in Israel were there for this holiday. They were devout men. From every nation under heaven. And when the sound came, the multitude came together. And look at their responses. They were confused because they heard people speaking in their own native language. From all over the earth. As you begin to read this whole passage, he, Luke begins to name at least 15 nations, separate uh, languages that were identified on that day. We don't know if the miracle was in the person who was speaking or if the miracle was in the people who were hearing. But nevertheless, it caused among some people a confusion, wondering what was going on. In verse 7 it says, They were all amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, Are these not Galileans? Are these people not from kind of the, the back country? Are these not the kind of the redneck, uneducated, uncouth people? How could they even know? Where would they have gotten exposure to be able to understand the language that is to my native home? This is what's most important. But what they heard was they heard them speaking the wonderful works of God. They were amazed and perplexed and they said to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking 
so that they are full of new wine. Give me two more minutes. Give me till 11.20. They said, I, I think when we talk about the Holy Spirit, let me give this quickly to you. There are four common responses when people talk. How many of you, even in here, have heard somebody... I don't like to make a big deal about tongues because it's one of only about nine gifts that the Scripture says. But it is a part of what is being said in this passage. So we can't avoid the elephant in the room. How many, how many of us have ever heard somebody pray in tongues or, or, or pray in this prayer language, right? Probably for the first time or the time that you first get exposed to us, you probably have the same reaction, have had the same reaction that these observers did too. One, we're a little confused. In fact, the scripture there talks about they were, they were mixed up. They couldn't make sense of what was going on. They weren't quite ready to dismiss it, but neither were they ready to jump in. Then there was the people who were amazed. In fact, this is a great word. It says that they were literally knocked off their feet, or in our nomenclature would say they were blown away. They had not seen anything like this happen, and it was not shocking to them in a negative way. It was like as if they were experiencing the birth of something and were just blown away. It's a picture that is often used of a husband who sees the birth of his child. What it is when you're watching a miracle take place. There's also the people who are marveling. In the New Testament, this is a pretty important word because this is the word that is always used when people, when it's described how people heard Jesus, their response to when they hear Jesus or they've seen him do a miracle, the scripture always says that many of them marveled. They were like in awe. And then the last one is that they, they were mocking. How many of us know that most of the time when we make fun of something, we're actually showing what we're kind of afraid of? They didn't know what to do with all this. It was a little difficult to process. So the easiest thing to do was just to come up with a human reason to try to explain how God was moving. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever tried to come up with some kind of explanation why God was doing what he was doing because he was pulling us so far out of our comfort zone? Listen, I'm going to ask the band if they will come. Let me talk to you about the lasting impact of Pentecost. I want you to hear me. God stopped, God stopped being content to speak to people. He now wants to speak through people.
Peter identifies this. He reaches all the way back 600 years to the book of Joel. And how does a fisherman have enough education to be able to connect that dot unless there is something supernatural of the power of God that quickens something that maybe he heard once or twice when he went to synagogue and he heard him reading the scripture and he said, this is that which was talked about in Joel. When God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sorry. Here's what's going to happen. The sons and daughters are going to prophesy. What is prophesy? It's speaking on behalf of God. It's speaking what you're hearing. Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit. And in those days, whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The end result of the miracle that God is wanting to do is not to highlight or to promote us. It's so that people would understand that when they are exposed to the glory and the goodness of God through our humble attempts to represent Him, that all people would be saved. Which can I just tell you? That can't happen Unless men and women are hearing from God. Unless men and women are willing to be used by God in a way that at times may seem a little risky. But is the very thing that people need in that moment. Can we go to the chorus of fullness, please? That's my desire for us as a church. It's for us to be a people who simply give... John, I need you to go back to my message, please, to the very last slide. For us to be a people, listen to me, who give God permission in our lives. We make so many requests of Him to do something in us. But we rarely give Him permission to do something through us. Many of you I've known for years and you've seen me in different contexts. Personally and in my home. At the school, in the gym, at men's breakfast. Throwing a golf club occasionally. <laughs> Paddle boarding. Gosh, I play a lot, I guess. Um, I'll tell you this. I only live my life with a, trying to be in a situation where I just keep wanting to remind God, if you can use me, I'm here. And my tank run low, and I need a continual refilling with the Holy Spirit. But more than anything, there are moments in time when the people that I'm around need somebody 
who is allowing the Holy Spirit to pour out onto them his life so that it becomes a benefit to those who are around. You're like, Jeff, how does this happen? What Jesus say? You just ask. You just ask. And the reason why this prayer language, this thing called tongues, often tends to be a sign, not the sign, but a sign, is because it's similar to the way that many of us came to Christ. In the book of Romans, it says that in order to, for you to know that you're saved, two things have to happen. You have to do two things. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Now, let me ask you this. Some of us have asked to be baptized with the Holy Spirit before. No fire. No wind. How do I know? It's interesting that maybe the sign, not to everybody else, but the sign to you, is that out of you in the book of John, it says, will flow rivers of living water. That there might be some groanings that begin to bubble up that you're like, wait a minute, I am just making stuff up. Here's the problem. When you ask God to do something in your life, why can't you believe that it's him who's doing it instead of you making it up? Who do you think wants to distract us with those things? The enemy. Because he wants everything to be about you. And God's inviting us for everything to be about him. So we're going to take a moment, much like they did in the book of Acts. I'm going to invite you that we are going to pray. And we're going to pray in this way. We're going to pray with the words that are on the screen. John, we're going to go to the part of the song that says, Pour it out, let your love run over. Because that's what we're really asking to have happen. It's for the love of God to be poured out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And then we're just going to do, we're going to respond much in the same way the book of Acts, where it says that they were declaring the wonderful works of God. And some of you are like, I don't really talk to God. Now's a good time to practice. And some of you are going to say, I want something more of God. And that's going to happen too.